Hello and welcome to the Friday Reporter Podcast. I'm your host, Lisa Camuso-Miller. I'm a public affairs professional in Washington, D.C., and I interview members of the media about their background, about how they got into journalism, and lots of other topics. The Friday Reporter is a PR Daily podcast. Check out PR Daily for ideas, inspiration, and trends on all things public affairs and to find the Friday Reporter podcast. Well, thank you for joining me for another episode of the Friday Reporter podcast. As the podcast continues to uh, add episodes and add different uh, guests, I thought today might be an interesting opportunity to talk to a fellow podcaster and a fellow communicator and friend of mine who has been in this space and worked with me for quite some time. Um, Peripherally, we've worked on projects together. We've worked in the government together. Jean Card from Jean Card Inc. is with me today. She is the host of Bipartisan, which is a bipartisan podcast. We'll let her tell us more about that. She's also uh, a columnist and a writer and a communicator who runs a really successful business here in Washington, D.C. Jean Card, thanks for being with me today. Thank you so much for having me, Lisa, my friend, my dear friend, one of my favorite people in Washington. I know all your guests say that. I really mean it. (laughs) Oh, well, thank you for saying that. And it was, you know, so you really inspired me to think about uh, doing a podcast myself because you have been for some time working and developing and really sort of tell me a little bit about bipartisan. Tell me about how it's come together. I know it's evolved over time. You've been at it for a while. Talk to me a little about about the process and about bipartisan. Yeah, thank you for for uh, giving me the chance to talk about it because it really is an interesting. It's it, it's an interesting example. The show is an interesting example. I think of what the media landscape is going through as podcasts become more popular and a lot of just regular people want to have podcasts. Mm-hmm. Um, so because there seems to be so much opportunity. And so a lot of us are wondering, can we be part of this growing media revolution? And a lot of us like you and I really want to be, really feel that we have the experience and the vision necessary. I I can't take credit for starting Bipartisan. It was launched originally, I wanna say it's been three or four years now actually, since mm-hmm. two former speechwriters, Mary Kate Carey, who wrote for George H.W. Bush mm-hmm. in the White House, and Paul Orzelak, who was a speechwriter for President Clinton. Those two folks uh, <laughs> saw each other often because they, frequently spoke on panels about speech writing and gave Mm -hmm. perspectives from the left and the right. And they were both listening to Pod Save America, which was one of the early, really popular podcasts, which is, of course, a conversation among former speechwriters for President Obama. Mm -hmm. Well, Mary-Kate and Paul saw each other and said, you know, I'm listening to this show and it's cool that it's speechwriters. We're speechwriters. We like that. But these guys, all they do, they're all on one side. It's getting boring. They just complain about Trump and they talk about, you know, like it, it was just very one-sided. They said, we think we can do better. So they started bipartisan. At first, the two of them were co-hosts and then they brought in other people. I became a co-host. I'm also a former speechwriter. That's how you and I first met when mm-hmm. I was a speechwriter for Secretary Snow at the Treasury Department and you were at Commerce. Mm-hmm. So bipartisan really started as speechwriters from both sides of the aisle. Um, and it has evolved over the years, and it actually it's relaunched more than once because mm-hmm. this is a new, you know it's a new medium, and we're all figuring it out. For sure, I just I have just relaunched it for probably the second or third time with a with a new co-host. It's now for the first time in its history, bipartisan is an all female 
uh, all female hosts. Okay, way to go, Jean. Thank you. Thank you, sister. Uh, it's me and Cicely Simpson, who is a Democrat, a moderate Democrat. She worked for Blue Dogs on Capitol Hill before she got into associations. And now she's a uh, she's been a corporate lobbyist. She's now a consultant. Mm-hmm. And I are. And we had our first conversation today about we reflected on 9-11 and the 20 years since and what's going on in Afghanistan. So, uh, you know, I I think that podcasting is I really like to quote, I think it was Jordan Peterson. I don't know if you ever listened to him, another great podcaster. I've heard him say that podcasting is the greatest revolution in human communication since the invention of the printing press. Interesting. Which, isn't that interesting? Mm -hmm. I don't know if he's the first to say it or not. I've heard him say it. Because I think it's really true because it it brings a type of communication to the masses in a way that is really special. Think about it. When the printing press was invented, uh, written communication came available in a, in, you know, broadly and in a way that, that just wasn't true before. People could pick up something and read it anytime they want, wherever they want, when it was convenient for them. Similarly, podcasting is diff- it has a lot of similarities to radio, but it's different in the sense that listeners can pick it up and listen whenever it's convenient or mm-hmm. desirable for them. Yeah. And it's also very intimate. Most of us listen to podcasts with earbuds in mm-hmm. and it's very close. It's very personal. Yeah. Um, so I like everything about it and I just, I'm a communicator and I wanted to do it. And frankly, nothing's going to stop me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right? I love it. I love it. Yeah. And so, um, and so your new partner on the podcast, so you talked about nine 11 and, and you talk about bipartisanship. Have you reflected um, in the podcast at all about how it's interesting to me that it's uh, it, that it's bipartisan and that would imply that there are only really two parties there are two mm. f- very formal parties <laughs> right? right but right. we are living in a time when it feels as if there is not just a revolution happening on the side of media there's also a revolution happening as it relates to um, the the electorate right the people that are that are going to the polls that are making those choices. And I feel like a lot of that change is, is reflected um, in the ability to access information in a variety of different ways. Um, Mm -hmm. So I'm curious about if you've gotten into that at all. And the fact that, you know, you're an R and a D on your podcast, but certainly as times change, um, it feels as if, you know, at some point it might be tripartisan or so who knows, right? Yeah, no, it's it's a really interesting point. And, and Cicely and I did reflect a little bit in our conversation today about the fact that culturally we have changed so much since 9-11. We had no social media back then. We mm-hmm. had no podcasts. Like the world is a very different place, how we consume information and, um, you know, how, frankly, how, how polarized we have become. And it's, in my view, the greater division I think it's very important to talk across the aisle. The political aisle is still a thing. Mm-hmm. It's still a thing. Definitely. But even more importantly, I think it's we need to talk across the, the uh, cultural and class divides. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the things that I'm excited about working with Cicely is that she and I both grew up in working class families. And today she and I both work in, you know, elite circles of Washington, D.C., right? Mm-hmm. We've both been in this on this side of the tracks, if you will, for a very long time. But we grew up in a more working class situation. And I think that the class and culture divide is 
I'm more, I'm much more worried about that actually than the partisan divide. I think it plays itself out in partisan mm-hmm. politics. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, we saw that with, um, with uh, President Biden's most recent announcement. No question about vaccines. I mean, that felt very us versus them. And it wasn't even politics. It was more, it was more class. It mm-hmm. was more, you know, the, the, the educated elites, uh, we, I'll go ahead and say we, cause I'm among, I'm among the vaccinated and I'm technically among the educated elites, right. although I have these blue collar roots mm-hmm. uh, same, and same. you, mm-hmm. you know, and then he's saying you, you working class people, you are, and, yeah, and you and I have this in common too. I think it's one of the reasons that we've become friends where I, I call people like us crossovers. Like we didn't, mm-hmm we're not from zip codes like the ones we live in now. Mm-mm. No. Mm-mm. Plus, no. And plus, I, you, plus you and I are Yankees. Which well, we still. there's that. <laughs> and the thing I think that um, you and I work very hard at, because I think as communicators in the business that we're in, it's very important to stay um, mindful of outside of Washington, D.C. We often, for our clients and for, for the members that we've worked for and for the um, the variety of jobs that we've had as communicators, the most effective way to communicate out is really sort of carving through the uh, Washington speak and trying really to, to, to craft a message that is salient and relevant to people that we knew growing up, our friends, our neighbors, our colleagues, the people that were, um, you know, our classmates and friends, people that we knew growing up, we're trying to really sort of speak to that specific audience. And that I think is, is very much um, a challenge in Washington. Cause I do think, I mean, yes, the announcement from the president, uh, I mean, you could feel the emotion in his comments about vaccines. And I think that it, this has really become a very emotional um position people have taken on one side or the other as it relates to vaccines and masking. But I also think that the, the the value of the communications field and what we do is really trying to reflect on how it is we carve through um, and, and make a point that is helpful to folks. Um, you know, like I said, like we grew up with. Yeah, exactly. I mean, there's, I'm so I was so disappointed listening, watching Biden last night because he has that in him, deep in him. He does he does understand and appreciate working class people, and he was in full uh, irritated elite mode, and it was very disappointing. I mean, uh, there's a there are there are ways through through the right words and the right tone there's a way for a speaker to show his audience, his or her audience, I understand you. I've thought about your perspective or I've, I've actually walked in your shoes. That effort is missing far too often mm-hmm. on both sides. And it, it worries me. I think, I think it's you and I as communicators, we, we always tell our clients and our former colleagues, we would always say, audience, 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 right? Mm-hmm. Who, who are you talking to? And what are you trying to achieve with mm-hmm. your message? Are you trying to persuade? Are you trying to just survive? Are you trying to entertain? I thought last night that Biden would try to persuade. And that's not what happened. It was, mm-hmm. <laughs> Disappointing. I, I never, I've never said to a client or a principal, I've never said, would you like to shame your audience? No. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's not usually the way we do that. 
please don't shame your audience. Every, everyone listening, if you feel that you're leaning toward shaming of your audience, we need to regroup. We need to talk about this. No question. And you having been a speechwriter for, for these really prominent members of the cabinet and a variety of you know, industry leaders, you do this better than anyone I know, Jean. Um, in the speech writing world, as you're preparing a speech like that, I mean, it is so critically important to work very closely with the principal and understand um, what they're trying to communicate. The one thing I will say that over the course of time, having worked in Washington, I think that um, something happens when people arrive at the White House and they are in that round office that is the <laughs> Oval. Um in that something gets lost. Some somehow that sentiment gets lost. You and I both worked for George W. Bush, um, who commanded a room when he was with um, people from industry. Certainly, that shown through during nine eleven when he was, you know, on the on the stack and and calling out, and folks said they couldn't hear him, but he could hear them. Um, those kinds of, that sentiment was so fresh and so real. And I feel like some of that, other than sort of that example that I'm most recently thinking about the one that is 9-11, I feel like some of that sentiment gets lost. How do you feel, do, do you get that sense as a speechwriter that something somehow changes when they arrive at the White House? I think it's, I think it's a huge risk, not just of arriving at the White House, but of arriving inside the Beltway, mm. um, you know, uh, near the Potomac, mm -hmm. whatever your mm -hmm. metaphor may be. I think it's a huge risk. And I've seen, I've seen not just people in government, but people working here change and, and either lose or let go of who they were when they got here. Mm -hmm. Right. I, yes. Haven't you seen this? Just yes, in, I sure have. In, in social, in friends, um, you know, people who came, a kid from a small town, hoping to make the world a better place, uh, who now is, uh, overly concerned with you know which which private school uh their kids need to go to to get into which college and to make sure that they, they mingle with the right type of people it's very mm -hmm. superficial and very uh, snotty it's a weird place it's a very it's a town of very successful and if, if you are if you are bright and work hard you will do well here mm -hmm. but it can change you people can really lose touch with where they came from uh and sometimes i think they're trying to not to go too deep but yeah. sometimes they're trying to yeah i think that's right you also though because you do uh, quite often write opinion uh pieces you have been yourself a columnist for us news you have sort of an extraordinary perspective how um, how do you maintain? How do you keep yourself grounded? How do you how do you carve out that message that you're going to be delivering on on specific issues um, in that space without sort of losing uh, losing it to the to the beltway? Yeah, that's that's a great question. Um, and and as you said before, you know, more important than what what I think or how I keep perspective is, of course being true to whoever I'm, if, if I'm ghostwriting, mm -hmm. whoever, whoever I'm writing for, as you said before, if, if I'm ghostwriting, but for myself and my own messaging, my own commentary, I, I keep up a, a really diverse uh, social group, a really diverse group of friends. Mm -hmm. And I check in with them a lot mm -hmm. and I see how they are thinking and feeling about things inside the beltway, outside the beltway. I still like phone calls. It's so easy to just text and Facebook and blah, blah, blah. But I, I love, I love talking to people 
who live here and who don't live here, mm-hmm. who are into politics or not, who are on the left, on the right, who are uh, black, white, Jewish, Hispanic. I mean, I, I didn't realize until actually the events of the past year, the racial tension, the the all the terrible things that we've seen in the last year since George Floyd was killed, well, more than a year now. Um, I didn't realize how many of my friends in Washington don't have a diverse friend group mm-hmm. at all. Mm-hmm. Both sides of the aisle. I'm talking about my Republican and my Democratic friends. Right. And I found out how many people only have white upper middle class friends and mm-hmm. it's okay because it's you know i don't mean they're bad people i don't mean they're they're not doing they're not in that situation because they're racist they're in that situation because it's their the reality of their day-to-day mm-hmm. it's who they work with it's who they live next door to i'm not i can't tell you why i've developed a truly diverse set of friends both racially and socioeconomically i can't i i don't know the answer to that other than i'm super extroverted and i like people and all kinds of people and i just find people endlessly fascinating but I do think it has helped me bring a perspective to my own commentary that is fair. Mm -hmm. While obviously I'm a conservative, I lean right. I'm sort of a libertarian type. Mm -hmm. That's my, that's my core philosophy, but I see a lot of different perspectives because of who I talk to and who I listen to. So it's interesting. You made the the distinction between writing for a client or writing for as Eugene yourself, how, um, did you find it to be difficult to find your own voice? Because for so long you wrote the speeches for these extraordinary uh, men and women. You wrote columns and and materials for someone else. Did you find it difficult to find your voice uh, when you did start to become sort of able to be Gene Card and have big thoughts of your own? Mm -hmm. That's a great question. I love that. Um, The the short answer is no. Um, And I will tell you why it's not, I actually had to fight to keep my own voice out of what I wrote for other people. Interesting. I have to, that's, that's an, that's an exercise for me. It always has been. It's always a constant reminder. It's not you talking, it's them talking and literally try to hear my principal in my head, like literally hear their voice mm-hmm. because my voice was very strong from the time I was a kid. I mean, I remember a, eighth grade teacher saying, you know, you should write screenplays or or plays for the theater because you write the way you write has such a strong voice. And it it sounds like the written word and teachers in college said you're writing has a very strong voice. This word voice was always Mm. part of my writing as a young person. And I, and I was always a compulsive writer and a journaler. And Mm -hmm. that's probably if there's a technique to keep your own voice alive or to develop or or refine your own voice, journaling. Really? The, the power, yeah, the power of keeping a diary where you write as yourself, unfiltered, your true voice hmm. is, I think, a great exercise in doing that. That is great. That is that is yeah. a great recommendation and, and one we should really all do more of. Well, especially now, we're living through an incredibly different, difficult time in human history. I, I, I hadn't been... I, I'm on off and on journaler throughout my life, some, but I go through stretches where I'm very faithful. And I knew when the pandemic started in 2020, that spring, I thought, okay, I, I'm going to, I'm going to open a new word document, start a whole new, mm-hmm. <laughs> start a whole new journal yeah. because we are living through something that is 
hideously historic. Mm-hmm. And I like uh, how you so, put that. <laughs> so, yeah, cause, and it's well, you know, I like alliteration too as a writer, right? Mm-hmm. Alliteration. Um, yeah, it's and also emotionally difficult, right? We're oh, we've all suffered emotionally from this. It's a terrible thing to go through. Mm-hmm. And so journaling for me has always been an exercise in my own mental health as well. Mm. So there, so, so I wanted to start it from those two, those were my two top reasons, my own, my own mental health and a record of history as awful as it is. It's incredibly interesting. I mean, when I go back and read what I was seeing and thinking and feeling in the early days of COVID when we didn't know how you got it. Do you remember walking around? You and I live pretty nearby. I remember walking around the parks of Alexandria and seeing police tape across playgrounds. Yeah. yeah. Yes, I sure do. Holy crap. Mm-hmm. That seems like a long time ago now, but mm. that, or the, is that, is that big flashing sign still on that Vernon Avenue that said, uh, spread apart, stop the spread or yeah. whatever. Yep. And it was just it's still flash, there. It flashes all the still time. There. Mm-hmm. That's, yep. That used to look like something out of a sci-fi movie. It sure did. And now I don't even notice it because it's how we live. Yeah. No question. And it's so interesting that you say that because uh, I think I may have told you this already. When I first started to think about, you know, my business and, and the practice that I have, I was trying to figure out how to stay relevant and stay, you know, busy and and interested in my work um, while we were working from home in a world, in a business. I talk about this on just about every episode about how difficult it is to have, um, to be a reporter really uh, during this time, because you really, that, that business is face to face. You find people, you run into people, people Mm -hmm. pitch you. um, And that was not happening because of the pandemic. It was out of, um, this extraordinary program that I participated in called the unstuck entrepreneur that is run by a woman named Sean minor and the program itself, Sean has programmed this tremendous exercise. It's primarily, it's a woman's program um, that helps women sort of think about ways to build their business. And a big piece of her counsel was to start journaling. And it was out of that practice uh, that I really started to formulate some thoughts like about the podcast and other ways that I could be marketing myself and my business at a time when I couldn't be in front of people. I couldn't be at cocktail parties or, um, you know, different events, handing out business cards. And I was trying to think about a way to market myself and my business. And it was through Sean's program, the unstuck entrepreneur that, uh, all of these sort of ideas started to flow from and journaling was a critical piece of that. So I'm really glad you brought that up because I think it's something people sort of, right off. And I think the more you, was that, was, was that pun intended? I just, sorry, <laughs> pun sorry, go on, go intended. On. <laughs> uh, but, but I, but I do think, I think it's a tremendously valuable thing. Also, I think it keeps writers sharp. You know, you're forced, Absolutely. you're writing every day. You're writing. And, you in, know, it's, it's yeah. been said many times that writing is a muscle. And mm-hmm. I, there's a reason people say it. I think it's super true. Keep, yeah. keep it strong, keep it sharp. Totally. I, I'm so glad. I, I had no idea that you came to some of your answers through journaling. I did. That's so interesting. I wonder how many people are doing it. And it, and to anyone listening, it's not too late. If you're like, oh, I should keep a COVID journal. Do Start it. now. <laughs> We're still in it, man. Do it. We may be going you know? back inside yeah, for all we know. Not, like, don't. This would be a good bumper sticker if there were a national campaign for journaling. It would be don't ruminate journal. Mm-hmm. Right. Like we can all 
We all ruminate, we circle around in our head with these unhelpful conversations of what should I do differently? What could I do differently? Work, personal, et cetera. Mm-hmm. And something happens when you commit it to paper or pixels, as it were. Um, Sometimes it feels you, less big. It feels yeah, real big feels, in your head. And then you put it down yeah. on paper and you realize this is really small. It, it is very it, good. It shrinks it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cool. No kidding. I can do that too. Yeah. Well, so Jean, uh, we've reached close to the end of our conversation. And one thing I always like to ask my guests is, who would you like to hear from on a future episode of the Friday Reporter podcast? Is there a podcaster? Is there uh, a journalist? Is there a communicator or someone that you work with that you think might be a good guest with good advice and thoughts about our business? Mm, that's a that's a great question. I love that. Um, I think I'm just going to pitch my own uh, industry here. Mm-hmm. Have you talked to other? Have you other talked to other podcasters? I have not. You're the first. Am girl. I the first? Mm-hmm. Well, then I, I'm going to say I'm not sure I'm going to come up with my specific recommendation right now because to be perfectly blunt, the podcasters that I listen to the most are probably some of the most popular. And I, yeah. <laughs> I well, that's okay. I just would say yeah. that the one thing that I'd like to do as I expand the the list of guests is I would like to talk to more. Um, I, t- I talked to several journalists who also are podcast hosts there for their go. platform. Yeah. Um, good, but good. I think that I'm looking for the type of podcaster like yourself or, and myself that are a little bit more on the entrepreneur side, uh, because I yeah. would love to pick the brains and figure out how it is you come up with ideas and thoughts as we go forward. Yeah. Well, I just, uh, I've, I've, I'm getting to know more, more podcasters like us. I love your, your term for it, entrepreneurial podcasters. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to get back to you, but I'm going to leave you with that general idea of more, more of this, because I think we are the beginning of, of a, the, the wave is ongoing yeah. podcasting as, as communication, as that, that important revolution of communication. So I agree more of this and, and I'll always be able to say I was your first. <laughs> you sure have oh, what been. About, oh, what about, what about Laura Cox Kaplan? Oh, that's a great idea. I can totally, there I'll put her go. on my list. That's a great there idea. I came up with a name. Uh, Laura does. She said, she said, and uh, I bet she'd love to do your show. She's on my list. I'm going to tell her you recommended her. That's terrific. Well, Jean Card, this was super fun. I'm so glad you could make a little time to chat with me about Bipartisan and about Jean Card Inc. and all of your great thoughts and perspective as a super well-regarded communicator here in Washington, D.C. and my very good friend. Thank you, my dear friend. Any time spent in conversation with you is time well spent. I love you, sister, and I hope to see you soon. And that's today's Friday Reporter Podcast, a podcast in partnership with PR Daily, a tremendous and helpful guide for all things public relations. Find us there on their website and join us again for another episode soon. On the morning of August 1st, 1966, shots ring out from the observation deck of the clock tower on the University of Texas campus. It marks the infamous beginning of the modern era of mass shootings in America. You're listening to Stop the Killing podcast. Join us as we take you behind the crime scene tape to explain global mass shootings and mass attacks. I'm Sarah Ferris, but more importantly, this is Catherine Schweitz, the former head of the FBI's active shooter program. I spent five years as the FBI's top executive looking for answers to the mass shooting crisis. I've been at the shooting scenes. I've traced heroic acts of bravery 
and I've sat silently and listened to the heart-wrenching stories from survivors. Amongst this horror, there is hope. We all hold the key to stop the killing. You just need to know how to unlock the door. Download Stop the Killing and be part of the solution. Search Stop the Killing on Apple, Spotify and all the usual suspects.